Hi, folks. On this episode of the Plug in America show, I talked to actor and producer Scott Dupont, and we chat about his movie, What is the Electric Car?, as well as his book of the same title. So this episode of the Plug in America show will be a high-level EV 101 overview where we compare and contrast traditional gas-powered vehicles with plug-in electric vehicles. But first, please consider signing up for the Plug in America newsletter. It's free. We're joining or donating by visiting pluginamerica.org today, and we appreciate your kind support. Also, please be sure to visit pluginamerica.org and click the Press Room and Plug in America show tabs for the show notes and links to this episode. And a quick programming note. In this episode, we talk about the Chevy Volt and Bolt. So just to be clear, the Volt, with a V as in voltage, is an extended range electric vehicle, while the Bolt, with a B as in battery, is a battery electric vehicle. Extended range electric vehicles have both a gasoline engine and an electric motor, while the battery electric vehicle has only an electric motor. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Plug in America show. I'm your host, Bob Tregillis. Joining us today is actor and producer Scott DuPont. Scott produced the movies Who Stole the Electric Car in 2009 and What is the Electric Car in 2010. And Scott is the editor and a contributor to the anthology of the same name, What is the Electric Car, featuring essays by folks such as Larry Hagman, Plug in America's co-founder, Paul Scott, actress uh, Alexandra Paul, Sierra Club Executive Director Michael Brune, race car driver Lilana Munter, and uh, late night talk show host Jay Leno, among many others. Really good book, too, by the way. That is, What is the Electric Car? Great introductory book. Welcome to the Plug in America show, Scott. Great to be here, Bob, an honor. Thanks. So, anyway, uh, this episode, as you probably tell by the titles of Scott's movie and book, is going to be a very high-level introduction and uh, some review for others uh, about plug-in electric uh, vehicles, or if you prefer, we could just call this show EV101. As we know, the plug-in electric drive vehicles are different from gasoline or internal combustion engine vehicles, ICEs for the internal combustion engine, as we often call them. Uh, So Scott, why don't you talk a little bit about the drivetrain differences between the two major types of vehicles, electric and ICEs? Uh, Well, since we're kind of doing an EV 101 show, just to really, really oversimplify it, uh, the typical internal combustion engine or ICE car has thousands of moving parts, and you've got Uh, either four or eight or six, depending on how many cylinders, uh, explosions, perfectly timed explosions going on inside your your engine block, and they're all timed perfectly to move the pistons up and down, the crankshafts, and I mean, you literally have all these moving parts, whereas to oversimplify an electric car, you have a piece of copper wire surrounded by a magnet, um, and that's usually hooked right up to the wheel or one fixed gear. So there's no differential, no complex transmission. And the battery pack sends electricity to that copper wire. The magnet turns and the car moves. It couldn't be more simple. And that's why uh, so many people that have been driving EVs for years uh, never have any maintenance or, or the ones that do, it's almost non-existent. Right. I see drivers as we all or most of us are a lot some of us have been driving electrics for a long time now but everybody's driven an ICE and is familiar with it and of course you're familiar with all the maintenance 
issues that go on because that's a part of the having so many different parts, you know, belts and valve trains and head gaskets and just pistons and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, why don't we also say uh, then ask, I mean, a lot of people think a Prius is an electric car, is it? Uh, no, no, it's a, uh, it's a straight up internal combustion engine car on one end. And then the other component that they added uh, was a very, very small battery pack with an electric motor. So you've got these two completely different systems working sometimes simultaneously. Sometimes if you're creeping through a parking lot, uh, it'll just be the electric. The, the good thing about the Prius is that it, it was a great stepping stone to create awareness about electric motors and that cars could be moved by electricity alone. And so it's, it's kind of been a good bridge or a stepping stone. But yeah, it's, it's nothing like an electric car. And, and what, I, what I talk to people a lot about, oh, well, isn't the Chevy Volt just another hybrid? No, no, it's not at all. I, um, I'm actually at my mom's house right now. She has a Chevy Volt, uh, the first generation. She has a 2012. And I, I broke my record yesterday. I went 49 miles completely on electricity without using a drop of gas. It's really only supposed to get 35 to 39 miles, mm -hmm. that particular model. But the difference is between the Volt and the Prius is the Volt is always driven 100% by electricity. And after 35 or 40, in my case, 49 miles, this little tiny gas generator has the capability to turn on to get you another 350 miles if you're doing a road trip. And that's really the only reason that my mom got the Volt. She's a single car household and she occasionally does some long trips from New Jersey up to Maine or Massachusetts. So it's really great for her to have that flexibility once a month or once every few months to do those really, really long trips. Whereas, um, you know, some of the first generation electric cars and the newer electric cars like the Nissan Leaf, the BMW i3, they just don't have that capability yet to to go 200 miles or so on a single electric charge. Right. So let's just back up for a second there just to make sure, because I know we've got a lot of very well-educated <laughs> listeners in the EV space that listen to this show. So there is a plug-in Prius, which would qualify as an electric car. And generally, when we think of the difference between a plug-in electric car and uh, a hybrid, gas hybrid car, it's we think about its sole source of fuel. And of course, a plug-in car, we plug in and get electricity from the grid or from a solar array on your home or whatever. And that's one source of fuel. And then of course, in the Volt, you have two sources of fuel. You can plug it in and then you fill up a tank with gasoline with just the high gas hybrid Prius, the one without the plug, of course, its sole source of fuel or fuel is the gasoline, the fossil fuel that you pour into it. Okay. Well, now that we've kind of covered some of that, um, well, and then also, I guess, for the geeks, <laughs> we do know that the Volt isn't entire, entirely driven by electric because there are times when the gas engine is contribute to the drivetrain, but only in extreme circumstances and at high speeds and things like that. So it's just a nuanced <laughs> thing there. Um, generally, it is all driven by the electric. Uh, so, But plugging in, Scott, isn't that 
a hassle. I mean, we're all accustomed to going to the gas station. Where in the heck do I plug these things in? And is that a pain in the butt? Couldn't be easier. Um, I, I live in, in an apartment complex in L.A., and I get this asked all the time because uh, electric cars are really the perfect situation for people that live in a city or around a metropolitan area because, you know, you're usually not – if you live anywhere near a city or in a city, you're usually not commuting anywhere close to 100 miles. So in my case, I just found a little 110 outlet. And I plug in every night before I go to bed, just like I charge my cell phone. And my mom, when she got her Volt, she has a garage. And the, the, first, first of all, I, I don't want to get sidetracked too much, but the, the, the initial dealership that was going to sell her a Volt told her she needed to get this great big charging station that would have cost two or 3000 bucks. I said, no, 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 mom, just we'll find a 110 outlet somewhere in the garage, which we did. Just plug in there. And she just plugs in when she sleeps. So it's, it's you know, every morning when she wakes up, uh, you know, my, my vehicle and her vehicle and my sister who just got a Volt last month, all of us just, you know, we, we've got a full tank of electricity and, and we go. Right. And uh, also what a lot of people don't understand, Scott, is that, you know, 120 actually will work for a lot of the smaller capacity battery packs, you know, like the plug-in hybrids or the extended range electric vehicle like the Chevy Volt is. And even uh, for a Nissan Leaf, because charging overnight throughout the whole night for when you get home from work and plug in and charge for 10, 12 hours, uh, 120 is quite sufficient. You don't need the uh, level two uh, charging station, level one is the 120, like the normal outlets you see around your house. And then level two is is the 240 volt outlet, like uh, if somebody has an electric dryer, clothes dryer in their home, it might be uh, 240. So that would be a special plug that needs to be installed in the garage. And those can cost, like you say, you know, $1,000, $2,000. It, it can even get more expensive than that if uh, if you're in like an older home with a with a small breaker box on the outside, service equipment entrance is not, uh, you know, doesn't have the capacity to add that much more amperage to the system. But 120 does work for a lot of the smaller commuter type electric vehicles. If, of course, if you had a Tesla Model S, you're going to probably want level two charging. Let, let me just chime in there real quick because I, I have a neighbor that has a Tesla S and I noticed he was charging it. I, there's a cord coming out of his garage every morning. And I said, doesn't that take you a really, really long time? And he goes, no, it doesn't because I don't drain my battery pack every day. Right. So my commute, my commute's only 20 miles to work. So it's just if I need to top off or whatever, I'll just do it while I'm sleeping. Really partly depends on your driving habits as well. Right. And he's right in that, that like 80% of us, according to National Highway Statistics, drive around 40 miles per day, 40 miles yeah, plus or, or, or minus less, yeah. per day. So, and that's also a lot of people kind of, you know, maybe don't know where that Chevy Volt <laughs> all electric range figure of 40 miles comes from, but that's one of the reasons they, I think they went with the 40 miles is because it's like 80% of us drive that. So what about dependability in electric vehicles versus uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, ICEs? It's funny because uh, my entertainment lawyer who helped us with the film, Nicole Weaver, and she looked at the book, she always has to remind me if I'm ever speaking on a film panel or whatever. I can't use the words 
never have any maintenance because there's always the possibility. But I can just tell you, I've been driving EVs for uh, my last one for five years, about 50,000 miles, zero maintenance at all. Uh, my mom's been, she leased a vault for three years. She never had any maintenance except for one oil change over that three-year period. And that, that's different because that's a plug-in hybrid. Um, but a lot of the folks that we interviewed in the movie that had the first generation of the Toyota RAV4 electric, uh, none of them we interviewed or none of the people with the first Nissan Leafs had any maintenance. So it is possible, but it's really more, you know, tires, windshield wiper fluid, you know, maybe just checking the cells and the battery, but there's really almost no maintenance. And then, of course, a lot of people have to have their brakes done every 50, 60, 70,000 miles. What about brakes? Let, let, me, let me chime in there because I was interviewed. Uh, we didn't get to include this guy in the movie, but I went to a Plug in America party and there was a guy sitting outside his, um, right next to his first generation Toyota RAV4 electric. And I said, darn, I wish we had interviewed in the movie because he had talked about, ne- and I said, I'm going to joke with you now. I know you've never had any maintenance, right? And he goes, you're right. No no maintenance, 160,000 miles on the original battery pack, so literally nothing. And I said, but I got to ask you, you live way, way up on this hill. You're going up and down this huge hill several times a day. How many times have you done the brakes? And he goes, never. And we got into discussion about regenerative braking. So there could be some brake maintenance, but what we found – is there's almost no brake maintenance too that the the traditional disc or drum brakes are really used as a backup right and elaborate you know because some people might okay, have said okay. I'm, I'm, regenerative yeah, braking what the heck's that <laughs> okay so what happens for this gentleman who has 160,000 miles going up and down this really really steep hill is when he's going down the hill or when he's coming to a stoplight the uh, the magnet, so to speak, I'm trying to simplify it, reverses direction. So there's a little bit of drag slowing the car down without having to physically use the the disc pads, which you know wear down over time and throw all this brake dust into your beautiful shiny alloy wheels. <laughs> so you're, and this was actually a, ch- a whole chapter in the book about brakes. You don't. It seems like such a little thing, but if you wash your own car, it's kind of nice not to ever get a lot of brake dust and all that nastiness that shoots out into your to your wheel. So that's one plus. And then you just don't have to have them serviced very often because the the magnet that's uh, you know turning the wheels in this case the regenerative it's it's taking that energy when it's slowing the car down, and that energy goes back into your battery pack. And, you know, it's, it's a couple of percentage, a couple of miles extra that you get of free energy, so to speak. Yeah, you consume the energy. You know, you just can probably think about it as like, you know, going along on the flat or going up a hill. You're using energy from the, from the battery pack. And then when you're going down the hill, it all reverses and puts energy into the battery pack. But, of course, there's a net loss over long range, which is why you end up having to plug in from time to time, and that electric vehicles aren't aren't perpetual motion machines. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> and no, and no, you cannot, you know, put like a solar panel on the roof and keep driving forever. I mean, it does help with a little trickle charge and stuff, and you can't stick wind 
turbines and stuff. <laughs> I saw a YouTube video of a guy that had all these wind turbines over his electric vehicle. It was, <laughs> I couldn't find it again one time. I was really disappointed. It was really amazing. <laughs> anyway, so um, what about range? I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about 80% of people drive around 40 miles per day to work. What if I want to go, as we say, visit grandma over the hill in Denver or somewhere? Well, it, it, there's there's two different options, and my my mom certainly fell into that category because she's a single person household, and she does occasionally, maybe once every three or four months, make these two hundred, three, four hundred mile trips. So in her case, the Volt was really a great um, you know option because you know she puts gas in her car literally once every three or four months. That's it. She otherwise she's always driving on a hundred percent electric from uh, her battery pack, uh, you know, when it's charged up. Um, you know, the Nissan Leaf, the BMW i3, uh, the Ford Focus electric, all these other 100% electric cars, they have about an 80 to 100-mile range. I'm just going to kind of generalize here. And, and part of that depends on your drive. So let, let's just talk about the Nissan Leaf for, for now. Um, you know, I, I know probably five or six people that have driven a Nissan Leaf across the country. And it, it's not easy. You really have to map out the char- the quick, fast charging stations ahead of time where you can get an 80 to 90% full battery pack in 20 to 30 minutes. But you got to stop and you know take these breaks and stuff. So um, I think if you're really doing a lot of long-distance trips, Trips, you need to look into something like the Chevy Bolt, which is now in dealerships right now. You can place an order. And that'll go about what's well, it's estimated at 238 miles. A friend of mine, he the first week he had his car, he did over 305 miles. So once again, it's all depending on how you drive. And and the 238 they came up with is a mix of highway driving. You know, you're not necessarily trying to stretch out and hypermile. So that's that's pretty realistic. And in that case, if you have a car that's got a 200 plus mile range, which the new test is going to have, and there, there are a couple cars that'll be out the end of next year, then you can do these long trips. And once again, you're just going to plan one or two stops during the day. And then you've got a realistic four to 600 mile day. And most people don't drive more than 600 miles a day if they're traveling. Right. And why don't you talk, we talked a little earlier, we were talking about charging at home. Uh, What about when you're on the road? What are the different options? Because obviously, you're not going to want to charge at 120, where it takes you 12, 14 hours to fill up a small battery. Uh, Level two might work, depending upon how far you're going and what the range of your car is. And what, what, what are the other options that are available? Okay, so let let's start with these small. So the 110 is or the 110 or 120, that's the typical outlet you see in your kitchen that you plug your coffee pot into. Everyone knows, can identify with what that plug is. If you want to double the charging time from there, you go to a 240, and that's uh, something similar that uh, a high-capacity dryer uh, would be hooked up to. You, you'd have to have a uh, an electrician just wire that in your garage if you did want that yourself. But a lot of the Whole Foods, a lot of the shopping malls, the post offices, you see these electric car charging stations around most major cities right now. And 
instead of uh, you know a, a six to twelve hour charging period, you can fill up your whole battery pack in anywhere between two and five hours for mo- for most cars. And what's interesting is ninety five percent of all the people we worked with in the movie in the book they never use those charging stations because they it's just they find it easier simply to charge at home than to wait around an hour while they're having dinner somewhere. But, you know, that's certainly an option. The fast charging stations, those are the ones that if you did want to take a road trip, and I've done this with a Nissan Leaf many, many times, I'll just map out if I'm doing, you know, 200 or 300 miles in a day, I'll just have to stop once or twice. um, And in about 20 to 30 minutes, I can fill up most to the battery pack. And the good thing about their, their... uh, fast chargers, they're 480 volts. The good thing is they're usually strategically placed along major highways, uh, like along the 405 freeway in California or Highway 10 that runs all the way across the country. Um, and I believe, and you can correct me, Bob, because I don't use it that much, but it's ChargePoint, I believe, is the app that'll well, tell you. One, one of them. Or PlugShare. Yeah, there's there's several of them out there. Yeah, there's several apps that'll tell you. Including Tesla, which is its own separate thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and those are you know fast chargers as well. So that's um, certainly an option if, if for those people that do a lot of long-distance driving. But I would certainly, you know, if you're doing long-distance driving on a weekly basis, it makes a lot more sense just to get something like a Chevy Bolt with a B or the new Tesla where you have 200-plus miles range. And then you can plug in really once and you've got 400 plus miles for the day easily right exactly why don't you talk a little bit more about your book and the reason behind it and maybe why well and why uh uh, folks that are not sure about this new technology it's obviously a disruptive technology it's different from what we're accustomed to dealing with but with a gas car you have to plan you know if you're going out on a long trip or even short trips you know you still have to plan your trips and go oh my gosh you know do i have enough gas and all that stuff and it's just with an electric car the planning is just a little bit different that's all there is um but why don't you talk about a little more about your book and why uh, some of the folks that might be listening and you know how this is like really really new stuff to them why they might uh, what they might find a value from your book well we we did the movie and, and i wasn't you know seven years ago i had never been in an electric vehicle let alone driven one or owned one so i'm really i'm really an actor and a filmmaker but what happened to myself and most of the producers is you know you're sitting in the edit room for weeks and weeks and weeks putting it together <laughs> and then we took it around the country and when you watch the message and all these other people, because I wasn't an electric vehicle owner then, these people like Paul Scott or Linda Nichols or, uh, you know, so many of these different people, Alexander Paul talking with such passion and such emotion about how amazing these cars are, (laughs) it really rubs off on you. So when we were taking the film around all around the country, we opened the city up in uh, or the film up in 75 cities all around the country. We had screenings and then Q and a sessions after the screenings. And in many cases we would have an electric vehicle show where we'd have anywhere between five and a dozen electric vehicles, including motorcycles parked right outside the theater. Uh, we started running into 
these other people. You know, the movie was great, but you didn't talk about this really powerful reason and another reason for having an electric vehicle or you didn't, you, you missed this reason. Well, we couldn't do everything in 75 minutes. So that's where the genesis of the book came up. And they're really, of, of course, never having to buy gas again is a, is a major reason. And for me personally, I save $200 a month, not buying gas. I get all my electricity for free. Now, somebody that has to collect electricity through their utility or whatever, they might have to pay an extra 20 bucks a month. But still, that's a big reason. But there's so many other reasons. Like my mom and I were taking a walk, and she, we saw this Audi drive by us, and it was only going like five or 10 miles an hour. They're really, really noisy, and, and all the vibration stuff. So one of the reasons you don't necessarily think of first is that they're so peaceful and so quiet and so smooth. So that, that's why we put the book together, 79 Reasons to Drive Electric. And uh, as you know, Bob, you probably have reasons I haven't thought of, but there's so many incredible reasons, not just about saving money and not buying gas, why people are, are going to be thrilled when they finally do switch over to electric. Right. Well, and it's like you're talking about the, the passion that EV drivers show for the technology. And I think a lot of the passion not only comes from knowing that you don't have to stop at these gas stations and, and <laughs> that the, the, the energy you're using is much cheaper than, the, you know, the electricity is much cheaper than the gasoline and so forth, and that it's clean. And there's a lot of environmental reasons. Of course, uh, probably the vast majority, though, of uh, plug-in drivers tend to be very technical-minded, you know, the engineering geek types that want to have the latest, greatest, newest thing. But it's also, I think the primary thing is, and this is why where we go back to the butts and seats thing and why we host uh, with the Sierra Club and the Electric Auto Association, uh, National Drive Electric Week, is getting the butts and seats. Because once you've actually driven, experienced an electric car, it's entirely different from driving a gas car. There's no noise. It's smooth. It doesn't jerk around when it's shifting. And They're uh, fast. They're really fast. <laughs> you know, even the, the cheaper commuter ones like Nissan Leafs, they accelerate like crazy. It's a um, great car, by the way. Yeah. I, rent, I rent it when I travel sometimes. Right. <laughs> right. And it's the latest, greatest technology. It's where we're going. Is there anything else you want to add, Scott? Um, where where can people some, find your book, I guess, would be a good one. What is theelectriccar.com? Okay, and we'll have that link, of course, posted with the show notes. I'm sure this we just barely touched the topic here. There's always a lot of, you know, what happens to all the batteries and they get recycled, you know, or they get used in other purposes, then recycled, uh, you know, and people that worry about the long tailpipe uh, myth where we just move in the pollution from the tailpipe of the car to the uh, smokestack of the power company. And of course, they've got dozens and dozens of uh, reports that show that that isn't the case. I mean, yes, you are producing a little pollution at the at the power plant, but it's not nearly as bad as the pollution coming out of a tailpipe, and it's more efficient. And then, of course, you've got the option of going, as we green the grid, of course, then the electricity we all use will be getting greener. And there's dozens and dozens of other things that people are concerned with and want to know about, and you can find out about those at 
don't have the book, or I'd encourage you to go out and get the book, but you could also find out about them on the Plugin America website at pluginamerica.org and go to the Why Go Plugin menu item there right on the front, and that'll answer some of those questions. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Scott. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure. This has been another edition of the Plugin America Show. Thanks so much for listening. And please help us get the word out about Plugin America and EVs by pointing your friends and family to the Plugin America website at pluginamerica.org. There you'll find a wealth of information about EVs, our plug-in vehicle tracker that tells you what EVs are available, what's coming and when, a blog, information about EV chargers and public charging, multimedia content, promotional materials, and much more. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us there. If you'd like to find out more about me, my name is Bob Tregillis, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. And please remember, Plug-in America is a non-profit electric vehicle advocacy group, and our work is supported by your generous donations. Please consider donating by visiting pluginamerica.org today, and we appreciate your kind support. Thanks to Anglegord, whose music was used here by permission. And until next time, remember, at Plug-in America, we drive electric, and you can too.